Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 331, recorded April 11th, 2023, and I'm Brian Ockin. And I'm Michael Kennedy. So I want to thank everybody that's showing up on the live stream and watches it on YouTube as well. Um, I know a lot of people just listening to the audio, which is great. Thank you. Um, but sometimes it's nice to pop over and, and join the chat. Um, we usually record it Tuesday at 11s, uh, Tuesdays at 11 uh, Pacific time. So if you can catch it, great. If not, we enjoy your presence anyway. I uh, also want to thank InfluxDB for sponsoring this episode, and we'll hear more about them later in the show. But first, what do you got got for us, Michael? How about we make an application? A Python yeah. application. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So this one was actually thrown out just in passing over on TalkPython when I had that panel about sort of the direction of packaging in Python in general, like we've got all these different choices. We've got poetry, we've got pip DMV, we've got hatch, we've got straight pip, we've got pip tools, right? So I had a bunch of folks on the show to talk about that. And Paul mentioned like, oh, make app is something that I'm really dreaming about right now. That might be a nice uh, way to think about how we work with packages. And so Felix Ingram noticed this maybe more than even that I did uh, while we were watching or while he's listening and thought, you know, um, maybe I should talk a bit more about this. So yeah, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of this before I dug into it, but make app, it's a little bit like cookie cutter and those kinds of things, but it'll guide you through creating your application as well as helping you um, test certain things. Like for example, if I want to create uh, some Python package having to do with secure, I can't call it secure because guess what? That's already taken on PyPI as a package. So I'm never going to be able to publish that. I'm going to have to rename it. I might find that out later along the way. So make app will do things like check to see that the thing you're trying to create could be uploaded to PyPI if you later chose to do so, right? And uh, also worth a quick pointing out, um, Felix said, hey, look, here's where uh, you can link to it over onto the TalkPython transcript page and it has every paragraph i guess more or less has its own little link that you can link to and play and, and hear what it's talking about and um, i don't think we have that on ours and i'm wondering how much people care like that's work that michael has to do but a bunch of people are like yes please then let me know anyway that's how they they shared it with me and i, I figured out what we're talking about so this is uh, an app that simplifies creating applications rolling them out and publishing them and what it does is it will make a skeleton for your new application in one command. That's kind of the cookie cutter equivalent, although there's absolutely fewer templates or project types, right? There's like five or six project types instead of five or 6,000 for a cookie cutter. So that's a, a consideration there. But then it'll automatically create a Git repository for you. I'm guessing just locally and you've got to link it to GitHub or wherever. As I said, it'll check whether the application name is available on PyPI. Uh, you pick your layout, and then it also allows you to sort of manage your app over time so you can uh, easily add entries like here's a new item or here's a breaking change to your change log. Oh, cool. So publish your application, uh, you know, push to source control, push to PyPI, and those kinds of things in a single command. I don't know if I'd use that. I think I kind of just am always pushing to GitHub. I don't really wait until I'm ready to publish something. Like I'm pushing like stuff. I always kind of feel bad. I think GitHub probably like, why does this person commit so often? But it's just like, you know what? 
I'm done with this little thing. I want to save it. What if I'm on my other computer? I don't want to have to you know, try to remember how to get it back. Anyway, um, that's a cool feature. I'm not sure I would use. So when you create a new one, you say make app new and you give it a name, you give it a location and other things like what is the name or what's the author? And you can also take things like the author, which you would put on the CLI. You can put that into a config file and say, you know what? It's me. It's always me. When I'm logged into this user profile, my name is still the same as it was before, right? Uh, so don't ask me about that, right? So that's kind of cool that you can do that. Uh, it'll create um, templates for things like a click powered app, uh, something based on PyTest. It'll, Brian, let you create a PyTest plugin project. Nice. That's intended to be a PyTest thing. A Django web app or this thing called WebScaf, which is also a scaffolding thing for web apps. And then to, when you're ready to publish it, you say make app release and that'll bump a version or you can make, say make app release increment the major version. Like that's a major change that you want to make, right? So this will automatically bump the version number, tag it in source control, push the source and the tag up to GitHub or GitLab or wherever you're act, acting on and publish it to PyPI all in one fail swoop. Then again, if you want to make changes, you can say make app change and then you put the text of that change and it'll put that into change log in the right place. So uh, you put like quote like here, it's plus new change command implemented <laughs> or whatever. And it has certain prefixes like plus for a new feature addition, exclamation mark for important change, minus for a deprecation or um, star for some minor change, right? Pretty cool. And then on top of that, you it comes with autocomplete in your shell. So if you're using bash or Oh, my Z shell or something like that. And you want to hit tab and have it know about make app, what are its commands, right? After that, then you can put something into your profile, your RC file, and it will uh, activate the autocomplete, which is cool. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, so people can check this out. Comes um, lightly recommended from that episode, but yeah, pretty cool. It looks interesting. Worth a yeah, look. Nice. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> one of the things I've been thinking about and looking forward to is uh, uh, Python 3.12, actually. So uh, 3.12 is not here yet, but it is kind of here, right? So uh, it's, a, it's, it's a yearly development cycle Python's on. Um, where are we at right now? Well, we just had, so we just uh, passed uh, Alpha 7. So Alpha 7 was released um, recently. Um, I don't think it was right on the days third. ago, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, so uh, 312 alpha seven and uh, if you you it's nice that they've published the schedule uh, the expected schedule um, so we've got uh, up through a couple more months of you know four or five months four months uh, bad at math in this this early in the morning um, of betas and then uh, candidate releases and then the final on uh, in October which is awesome so um, the uh, so why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because a couple things happened recently. So the Alpha 7, if we took the release notes, um, uh, there's some fun stuff in here. Um, I, and I'm not sure when this came in, but the thing that I really am looking forward to in 3.12 uh, is, uh, well, there's some stuff that isn't really mentioned here, but I think we're going to get more speed improvements, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, but there's uh, there's some, some cool stuff with... Uh, um, oh, this is just the the major 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 new features. Uh, we've got even more improved error messages, which are great, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. A whole bunch of great stuff, um, but um, but these are pretty cool. Uh, also, invalid backslash escape sequences uh, now warn for syntax warning and deprecation warning. That's kind of neat. 
Um, so in the what's new uh, uh, article uh, for 312, um, this does have some examples of the new error messages. So these are really kind of neat things. Like um, if you just kind of use sys version info, but don't if you forgot to import it, there's uh, some some new error logs of did you forget to import sys? So did you forget to import that? That's those are nice error messages. There's a an, another one from uh, like if you're uh, <laughs> using a variable within a within a class that's not around, maybe it's a self variable that you forgot or self member variable. So there's a did you mean self dot black? <laughs> nice example. Um, syntax error from uh, uh, and I've done this a lot of import import from and messing this up. So it's a import something from this other thing. It's not that you're supposed to say from something import something and and the syntax error now says did you mean to use this instead um which also i don't know to me begs the question of uh like can't you just figure it out if if you know what i meant but anyway um yeah some other um like import error messages some cleanup uh, more more specific error messages always uh exciting the other uh there's there's always new new exciting things in new versions one of the off of that uh, that bit, I just want to bring a little audience feedback. Sean Tibor from Teaching Python out there says, hooray for better error messages. And Pamela Fox says, yay, I've already been benefiting from 311 error message improvements, some of which requested my, I requested myself in the Python forum, tell Pablo what you need. Nice. Yes, I think this is really great. It's, it's certainly getting uh, nice to have those, especially for people getting started in Python to be less confused. Yeah, and I'm finding myself uh, just I'm in a hurry more often than I I guess I'm always in more of a hurry uh, getting stuff done and and uh, if the error message can help me solve something quicker that's a that's a nice win. It, so just one of the announcements that came out recently. So I, I was this is like tight schedule. So we've only got we're on alpha seven. We've got um, no more alphas. We've got some betas coming, but um, I thought we were no new fe- no new features beyond the. Uh, beta one and one of the new features that i don't see so far but is supposedly coming in is um is this this uh per per interpreter gill pep 684 it's um it's good 312 it just got approved and it's i'm pretty i think i'm excited about it i'm not sure i'm i don't know if you know much about it uh michael but it says here okay so i'm just going to quickly summarize the abstract so uh cpython users uh, can run multiple interpreters, interpreters in the same process. Um, however, interpreters in the same process always shared the same global state. And so one gil. Um, this is a source of bugs. Um, so and uh, with a growing impact as more people use the feature. Furthermore, sufficient isolation would facilitate true multi-core parallelism. Oh, I like multi-core parallelism. Uh, so I think we want this. And uh, so there's outlines in the proposal. So we're going to have that they're moving the 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 data surrounding the gill into the per interpreter data. Um, and I think I'm excited about it. But then then later on, it does say um, uh, there's a there's a reference like for how do we teach this? Um, and it mentions, oh, I think I, I lost the, the link. Oh, um, this is an advanced feature meant for a narrow set of users of the CAPI. So I'm not sure how this will affect normal people uh, in the future, but I still think it's a good thing. Do you have any idea, Michael? 
I have no idea. Yeah, I think that the trick is how do you start a new interpreter? And what yeah. I am, what I would imagine might come out of this is there might be right now in Python we can create threads and we can create multi-processing and we can do async I/O, right? Yeah. Um, async I/O, it's just one thread. It doesn't do any of that. So kind of put that to a side. It's, it doesn't really fall into the same realm. But with threading versus multi-processing, it's always been this trade-off of like, well, I really just want to run more than one thing at a time. And, you know, like I've got 32 cores. Why can I only use one of them? I, I have this work I want to do. And this might be interesting for um, you as a data scientist or a yeah. scientist or somebody doing computational work, say on like hardware devices. A lot of, but then it also could be interesting for web consumer, web developers and APIs and stuff, right? Like those uh, threads might be, you know, you're still blocked on the gill on the server side for each process that you spin off. And that's why we have a bunch of worker processes that run like you have eight worker processes already in a copy of your entire app consuming all that memory, right? That's the, why do you do that? Well, because you don't want to be subjected to the gill for among other reasons, but that's a primary reason. Because you can't yeah. really do it in parallel, but if you had a bunch of processes that are independent. So I can certainly see there might be some kind of API or something in the future where when you create a thread, you can say, and this thread lives inside this process, yeah. but I want more isolation. Like and interpreter isolation equals true when you create the thread or whatever. And then, then when you run that work, there's two things that happen. One, it should run in true parallel form. But let yeah. the OS, it'll be an OS thread. The OS will schedule that on its own course. But then you also will have to actually care about lock. Like other languages like C and C Sharp and stuff, you do parallelism. You're all about, okay, when do I lock this? How do I lock that? How do I unlock it? What about a deadlock? And in Python, you're like, eh, kind of the gill will help us a lot. Like that's gone, right? And so it kind of levels up the difficulty of thread safety because there's more of a chance that these things run in parallel. So anyway. So we had, so that's I, my I think. The gist around it is there were a lot of people that were, or a lot, there are some people that are trying to utilize the multi-interpreter or sub-interpreter systems, and it, they were running into problems because of this, this the, the gill is global sort of a thing. Um, and so push, it's not just the gill, but there's other things involved with this PEP that push more of the data around the per-interpreter thing uh, into isolation. So it's increased isolation of the per-interpreter stuff including the gill. Um, and, uh, and those kind of people, like it says, uh, maintainers of any extension module that, uh, that created isolated interpreters, um, they'll now be able to utilize this better. So there's some people making some cool things that'll continue. So, yay. Anyway. Mm -hmm. cool. I'm very excited for this. I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for the no gill Python. I think it's one of these sort of chicken and egg type issues. Be like, ah, I don't really need the threading stuff. I don't really use it because, it's Python. A lot of people are like, well, there's no point in trying it. So there's just not like a culture of yeah. really leveraging the hardware outside of these very specialized C APIs or certain Rust scenarios. But then when you do see them, you're like, oh, it's like 50 times faster. Like, hmm, wouldn't it be kind of nice to go 50 times faster sometimes if you might need it or, or yeah, use but, half but as like, much RAM on a server because you don't need to scale out as much for the guild? But like you said, in other languages, we have to like freak out about like, like locks or using a a message queue system for different processes instead. And uh, uh, we don't have to deal with that now, but so I think, I think it's, there were, it's good that we're taking slow steps towards it. So it's good. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is good. I talked to Eric Snow about it long ago. It sounds like it's created 
better data isolation within the CPython source code anyway. There's a bunch of global shared variables that didn't weren't really meant to be shared, but they were because there's really only one thing. And this this refactoring, I think, has also made it a little bit better inside. So yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, do you know what else is cool? Uh, databases. Yeah, databases are great. And we want to thank InfluxDB for sponsoring this episode. Um, InfluxDB is a database purpose-built for handling time series data at massive scale for real-time analytics. Developers can ingest, store, and analyze all types of time series data, metrics, events, traces in a single platform. So, dear listener, let me ask you a question. How would boundless cardinality and lightning-fast SQL queries impact the way you develop real-time applications? InfluxDB processes large time series data sets and provides low latency SQL queries, making it a go-to choice for developers building real-time applications and seeking crucial insights. For developer efficiency, InfluxDB helps you create IoT, analytics, and cloud applications using time-stamped data rapidly and at scale. It does, it's designed to ingest billions of data points in real-time with unlimited cardinality. InfluxDB streamlines building once and deploying across various products and environments from the edge on-premise and to the cloud. Try it for free at pythonbytes.fm slash InfluxDB. The link is also in your show notes. Thanks, Influx, for supporting the show. Very, very awesome. Thank you for supporting the show. Now, Brian, you live in the future in this world of Python 3.12. Yeah. I live in the present, as in just a few days ago, Python 3.11.3 was released. How about that? Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't know. My feelings a lot of times when it's one of these point releases, maybe it's worth upgrading. Sometimes there's something cool in there. Sometimes not. Uh, This one, you probably want to get in there and check it out because number one, this is not very common in the Python world, that there's a security update. Hmm. So uh, they updated the underlying open SSL version for Windows and Mac OS to 1.1.1 T. And we talked about like semantic versioning, calendar versioning. This one's the T versioning style uh, to address, let's see, one, two, and three uh, CVEs. And if you go pop over there to read a bit about that, it says severity high. <laughs> uh, okay, that doesn't sound absolutely incredible. And the other one is moderate. And another one is moderate, right? So those are probably worth paying attention to then. So that's, uh, I just realized like 20 minutes ago that actually, I know it came out last week, but I just noticed it this a little bit ago. And because of the security stuff, I decided I'm kicking out something I was going to cover before and putting this one in here. So that's pretty important. Yeah. I just want to be a little timely on that. So there's also some other things, you know, there's always a few things you're like, huh, I wonder if that... That might be causing a problem. For example, example, stack top value on tracing entries to avoid corruption on the garbage collection. I'm like, hmm, I don't know that I do that, but maybe things that I use do that. And I don't want a corrupted garbage collector, right? That would be bad. Who knows if like if it lose if it leaks data that's bad, but if it goes and collects something that's not bad, that's really gonna be a problem. Um, overflow when creating very large dictionaries um, causes a crash when deallocating nested filter objects, seg fault from a race condition during garbage collection. All right, so there's enough stuff in here that I'm like, you know what, this thing's getting an update. All right, so those are the cores and built in, and then there's a bunch of things, a uh, bunch of improvements to the standard library uh, people can uh, check out, right? So it's just always interesting how much 
how many things get changed, even though you think like a eh, standard library is kind of static and fixed, but like fixed under weak ref descriptor generation for custom data classes. And, you know, for binary mode, file hook compressed doesn't set the encoding, uh, even if the value is, um, is none and so on. So just a bunch of little things getting fixed. But the reason I, I put it to the top of the list is the security stuff. Yeah, one of the security things that's interesting to me, I haven't looked into that yet, is that subprocess popen thing. Is a, a lot of people use Python to coordinate other activities uh, on, you know, like DevOps and and uh, systems admin and stuff like that. Um, so uh, security patches around that you probably should pay attention to. So that's pretty interesting. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, specifically for Windows users, right? So now yeah. uses a safer approach to find cmd.ext when launching with shell equals true. So. Yeah, and I can't imagine, like, I didn't even think that if you found the wrong command, you'd be passing all your stuff to the wrong shell. Like, you know, <laughs> some evil sort of. CMD? Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right, well, that's that one. What's your last um, I want to do something fun because we're. I'm looking forward to PyCon uh, uh, coming up right at, right pretty soon. Are you pretty excited about that? Um, I am excited. I think it's approaching faster than I'm ready to prepare for being there for all that time and getting the most out of it. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So there's there's a uh, an article. Who's this by Sebastian Witowski? Um, how to make a great conference talk. And I, I kind of like this. this is, there's some really great advice in here. So um, I know it's kind of late. A lot of people that are speaking about, people speak at all sorts of conferences though. So it's it's good. But uh, if you're speaking at PyCon, there's a couple of things I want to highlight. You probably already have your slides set up, hopefully. Um, and no, you've already been accepted. So the uh, you don't need to worry. <coughs> uh, you can maybe skip the benefits of speaking at a conference, but I, I recommend people try. Um, I think there's benefits of even uh, submitting and trying to get an idea, idea together, even if uh, you don't present it, because it's it's nice. Anyway, um, uh, then uh, uh, there's call for proposals, research, preparation, slides. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here that's great. I want to skip to the end, so you're 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 in the middle of of uh, maybe trying to do rehearsing. So I say skip to the this part, the the live demos part and rehearsing and what to do on the day of the presentation and make sure you review these because these are great. Um, and the greatest advice I've ever seen for live demos is, do you really need a demo? Um, I have, uh, we've probably all, I don't know if anybody's, uh, anybody that's tried to do a live demo has had one not go as they expected. Even if it turned out okay, it's a stressful thing. So especially if you are, uh, new to presenting i would say skip the live demo it's cool when it works when it doesn't it's um we we and the other thing is if you're going to do it anyway and something goes wrong the python people in the audience are not gonna like heckle you or anything like that we're a nice bunch of people and we've all had it happen to us so um uh so you're not gonna you shouldn't feel too embarrassed but prepare for it prefer prefer what are you going to do if the wi-fi goes out things like that um so uh, and also, and also I just don't do them anymore because, uh, cause, cause they've always gone wrong for me. Okay. Moving on at the very least practice them, uh, rehearsing. I see a lot of people and I, I used to be like this to forget to rehearse. The rehearsing is the most important part. Um, and I, I can't remember where it is in here, but it's good advice of, uh, taking 
practicing the first five minutes, making sure you've uh, like got the five minutes, first five minutes, the last five minutes memorized. You can like, you can like, you know exactly what you're going to say because it's hard if you think you kind of know what you're going to say. When you get up there, it's blank page. You have to, how do you start? So knowing how to start and knowing how to finish is a, is a good thing. Um, I, uh, so practice. And I also see, I've seen people practice quietly and I've done this before in your head, practicing in your head doesn't count. Do it out loud and do it standing. You're going to be standing at a conference. So don't sit and practice it, stand up and practice it. I was at the la- at uh, Pi Cascades. I was in the hotel room. And what did I use for a standing desk? The ironing board. The ironing board works great in a hotel for, for your standing desk to practice it. Anyway, practice your, your talk. And I take one of these. So I'm going to have a link in this. Um, I'm going to take, take a look at this in a second. But uh, one of these uh, time timers. So um, it's 36 bucks for a little tiny timer. So what's the big deal? Uh, you can visually see what's going on. And I love these things. Um, and I, that's what I used to practice with. Um, and to, and the other comment in here was to, uh, pay attention to where you are in your slides at different points, which is a great idea. Like at 15 minutes or 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, where are you approximately in your slides? The reason for that is while you're doing your presentation, if you're at the 10 minute mark and you're already halfway through your talk, slow down a little bit. If you're at the 10 minute mark and you've only gone through the first three slides, you're going to have to speed up a little bit or else you're not going to get into it. Or, so. or skip something. Or yeah, or skip something. Uh, uh, know what you're going to skip, uh, but practice it. Uh, and then some great advice for day of the presentation: uh, Don't drink too much water or your coffee. You're going to want to, but don't uh, because. Uh, but drink drink some. Make sure you're hydrated, but not too hydrated because you know. Um, so anyway, some great advice here: uh, packing checklist. Make make sure you have extra chargers. I I've got like the little dongle thing because. Conferences usually have whatever you need to hook up to, but I don't trust that. So I make sure that my laptop can get to HDMI, can get to, uh, uh, yeah, whatever it needs to. Um, extra charger if you've got one. So just prepare. Yeah, it's a good article. Uh, Sebastian's a great presenter. So yeah, he's done a bunch. I I also have some thoughts. I would say regarding the live demo part, I'm. I'm on board with Marco. Like, I think uh, not that one, <laughs> this one that I find talks of live demos. I, he says more exciting. I say more, more real, right? Like mm-hmm. if, and I think it applies an important role. Like there's certain things you show picture, 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 you're like, Oh, that's cool. But I, I bet that's really hard. But if you show actually there's these three lines that I wrote in a minute in front of you and now the thing happens like, Oh, that's totally approachable. I could do it. And I think it just sets a, a different tone. Don't think every talk has to have it. Like um, there's storytelling talks and like big picture talks and like those don't need it. But if you're trying to talk about as focused technology, I I think it's almost table stakes. So I disagree a bit with Sebastian on that. Okay. However, yeah. I that said, you can go into it with a blank file and get confused. You can get distracted. You can make mistakes. You can forget things. So two things leave lot if you do do it leave lots of breadcrumbs like maybe put a comment like here i want to create a flask app here i want to make a, a a view that responds to this url and like it might be hard to remember to do all the steps but if you see make the flask app you're like yeah oh, i remember how to do that <laughs> create a view that call responds to this url with like the actual variable passing thing and oh okay well that's easy we'll drop that right like you can make it hard on yourself or easy on yourself 
And then second, have a backup. Um, Bamful says at, at his research lab, they were actually saying, keep a spare laptop. I don't know necessarily about that, but I would at least have a finished version that you're like, oh my gosh, well, let me pull this up and show you. Then we'll talk like a, some kind of fallback, right? There's like levels of, yeah. of live demo. Do I say file new project and we write a thousand lines or do I strategically highlight the important bits and not distract people with like boilerplate yeah. and get potentially lost, right? I don't know. So I think that's kind one of, of the, I lean on this stuff. One of the halfway betweens is to script your demo. And um, there's a tool that the, the Sebastian links to called Demo Magic. And what you do with this is basically you you have these commands of uh, PEI or PE and and other things and wait for prompts and whatever. And these what happens is you your demo it looks like you're demoing, but all you're doing is hitting enter to go to the next thing. Um, and and then people can see in real time what it looks like, but they don't have to wait for you to type. It just sort of you know yeah it, it kind of like types it out as if it's doing yeah absolutely yeah. So this is kind of nice. I also, one of the things uh, of all conference advice, um, Sebastian does talk about this, but keep it in mind. This is what works for him. I disagree with some of it and and you disagree with some of it. And be, it's okay if you disagree with it because it works different for everybody. Um, like one of the example, one of his advice, pieces of advice also is to write out your talk before you write your slides. I never do that um, because I'm writing my slides in Markdown I'm thinking about what I'm going to show while I'm while I'm talking and while I'm thinking about the topic. So my my slides really are kind of outliney to begin with, and um, and then I you know I can put junk in there and cut it out, whatever. Um, also, a code I don't know how to do, and it says you, you should be able to do your talk without slides. I just I I don't think that's true. This is a for for the kind of demo or kind of stuff I'm doing. There's a lot of code I'm showing. I'm not going to describe that code if the slides don't work. I don't know what I would do if my slides didn't work. But anyway, so. Yeah, one one other uh, piece of advice that I want to emphasize is Sean out there says, I always take three slow breaths before I start talking. Try to talk slow and smooth for the first minute. That's really good advice. And, you know, we, your body reacts to stressful situations like this in weird ways, right? Like, you think your body's like, you're going to be eaten by a bear if you like say something wrong. Like, no, you won't be eaten by a bear. But, <laughs> you know, you, your heart does race. And a lot of times, especially when you're new, it's easy to perceive that as like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I hope I don't screw up. But an equal interpretation, a viable per- interpretation, that would be, I'm really excited. Like my body's going, like really, I've, those butterflies yeah. in my stomach are like, I am psyched to do this. And so I just convinced myself, rightly or wrongly kind of lie to myself like well if you feel nervous that's because you're getting excited and you're just about to do something awesome so you know get ready for it right rather than oh my gosh i'm nervous i'm gonna make a mistake so i think it's okay to lie to yourself in that regard too (laughs) i also um i've been like i don't want to go over um i don't think anybody's going to be mad if you go under so i my personal i personally if it's 25 minute talk i practice it in 20 minutes Um, absolutely it's easy um, to expand. It's hard to shrink in real time. And also, if you if you're done early, nobody's going to complain about that. Um, but also, uh, also if something goes wrong at the beginning and you have trouble with your the the video setup, you're still you still have enough time to finish it. So I think that's yeah, cool. Uh, the other the other thing is uh, um, pauses within. I just keep I just talk constantly, and I don't I, I have to remind myself if I'm showing something that I think is going to be shocking. Let people take a second to be shocked by it. Um, and if I, yeah. and if people laugh, 
take a moment and let them laugh um, before you move on to the next thing. So, yeah, yeah anyway. it. absolutely. Very good. Cool. Uh, and good article, Sebastian. Okay. Well, Those are our topics. Do you have anything extra are. for us? I sure do. I got a few things. I finally got that uh, CDN Python web apps that fly with CDN's course published and online. Like I said that Sweet. I would, but now I officially have it up so people can go check that out. It's super fun. Speaking of releases, Django 4.2 was released last week also, one day before Python 3.11.3. Major highlights include Psycho um, PG version 3 support, comments on columns and tables, support for asynchronous streaming responses and async interfaces related to managers and models. So uh, you can go check that out if you're doing the Django. Also, it's a LTS release, so... Um, oh, yeah, that's important. Yeah. It has been designated a long-term support LTS release, which means it will be around for three years. All right, that's it for my extras. You? Uh, uh, no, no extras this time. Oh, I forgot. I realized that I forgot. Um, there's a lamp in the background. That's new. Um, I, I had a big uh, uh, Easter party, and uh, it, the lamp got moved in here uh, to save space in the rest of the house. I forgot to mm -hmm. move out. Because yeah. why wouldn't you cram it into your office? <laughs> why not? Um, I had a lovely experience where we had to remodel the inside of our garage, basically do a bunch of drywall and stuff. And so everything had to come out. So pretty much the entire garage moved up into my office into a mountain of junk behind me. It was awesome for a while. I'm very glad to nice. have that mostly gone. Yeah. Cool. Well, how about a, a joke? Yeah. All right, then. This one comes from Programming Humor. And we are in this time of a thousand flowers blooming AI revolution. See where it goes. You know, we've got chat GPT, got mid journey, got stable diffusion. And it seems like everyone is plugging AI into their tools and email, copywriting, all those. There, there's a bunch of things like Notion, for example, you can get an AI plugged in to help you write your, your app, right? And so here, this is like two views, people sending email to each other, a couple of coworkers on one side, a couple on the other, and they don't know about each other, right? The one on the, the first one is just one bullet point. You could see like a dot and a line. There's like one line. And this person's bragging to their coworker, AI turns this single bullet point into a long email so I can pretend I wrote it. Boom, send. The person who receives it is talking happily to their coworker. Says, AI makes a single bullet point out of this long email so I can pretend I read it. <laughs> oh, nice. here we are. Yeah. When you talk about stuff getting sent over, how does that work? Well, First, you connect over TCP, and then there's DNS, and then there's TLS, and then there's the HTTP layer, and now there's the, like this AI translation layer that rewrites it <laughs> to be sent. But it's kind of the opposite of efficiency. Instead of sending the single bullet point, it can, expands it to a whole paragraph, sends it, and then shrinks it back down. It's so the opposite AI, of compression. AI is kind of freaking me out. I hope that I still have a job five years from now. Um, but anyway. Well, we'll ask we'll ask ChatGPT about that later. Yeah, at, at some point, <laughs> and you know more about this than I do. So at some point, you're going to be like, uh, like, can I get a an AI Brian to to host the podcast with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm already digging my bunker to for when Skynet activates, as Sean says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, start growing carrots. Um, yeah, whenever. exactly. Buy some goats. <laughs> No, actually, I'm gonna go right to go back to writing Python code. But as Chat always, GPT, make me a goat. <laughs> how, how do I start a goat farm and live off grid? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, thanks as always. Thanks. Talk to you later.
Bye. Yeah, bye. And thanks to everyone out in the audience. That was fun.